This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am just delighted to welcome back Bonnie Marcus to the show. Bonnie hosts a terrific podcast called Badass Women at Any Age, and today she will talk about how women over 50 can regain their workplace power. Bonnie, welcome back. I'm so happy to have you on again. Oh, Caroline, I, you know, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be back. It's great. Well, we always have such great conversations, so let's dive in. You know, you have been giving sage wisdom uh, to women for a long time, and the new book is called Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Their Workplace Power. So you've seen it all, but what prompted you to write this book? About four years ago. I was coaching a 58-year-old female attorney who worked at a large tech firm in Silicon Valley. And she was one of eight, I think, on, on the legal team. And she was the oldest. And she was the oldest woman. She was uh, not the only woman. But I was coaching her through her experiences at the time where she realized that People weren't seeking her opinion anymore, even though she had been a star performer um, on, on the legal team. She wasn't invited to some of the key meetings. And I think what was what really struck both of us as being um, a, a red flag was that um, her workload was being redistributed to some of her younger colleagues. And she knew, and of course I knew, that if she had a smaller portfolio, it would be much easier for her to be then pushed out. She was feeling very, very vulnerable. Um, so she wasn't experiencing, you know, the, some of the demeaning comments and blatant overt actions that some of the women I interviewed for this book had, had experienced. But still, it was little by little, her, um, her credibility, her respect was dissolving in the workplace. And I said to myself, this is probably not an isolated incident. So I started to do more research on this topic and found that there was very little um, Catalyst has a gender brief, which where they talk about gendered ageism and the prevalence of lookism, um, but they they didn't go into tremendous depth about what those experiences were in the workplace. So I started to interview women and heard their stories, and it just horrified me, Caroline, that women who had long track records of of great performance who really had in some cases worked their way up to leadership positions who were now being marginalized in some cases pushed out who were now experiencing um comments like you know you're over the hill uh you must have been around with Abe Lincoln right i mean <laughs> just wouldn't wow. believe some of this stuff. 
And so um, I really felt compelled, really felt compelled to shine a light on gendered ageism, you know, for women in, in the workplace, because I want to build awareness around it. And I also wanted to give women the tools to deal with it. Well, and that's a perfect segue because that's exactly what this book is about. And and let me make the statement loud and clear to the women and the men who are listening around the world. This is advice that we should be thinking about throughout our career. So if you are a younger woman, lucky for you that that you're getting this Mm -hmm. advice ahead of the game. And if you are a more seasoned woman, it's not too late, right? There is absolutely uh, plenty of opportunity for you to rectify this and address it head on. But Bonnie, let's, let's go right to the heart of it. You talk about how some women are experiencing uh, that they're surrendering their power or they're not setting boundaries or they're feeling irrelevant. Those are some signs of ageism and, and like the attorney that you referenced earlier. How do we even begin to start to overcome that? Well, the first thing we need to do is to understand the way we're giving up control and power. And I ask many of my clients who are in situations like this to start to keep a diary. What are some of the ways that you're giving your power away? What are some of the things or the people, the situations that trigger you to back away, to stay in the shadows? And and then, you know, you look at this and you say, well, um, how does that benefit me? you know, what are the consequences of me doing this? So I think the first part is really owning it and understanding the the different triggers and the way that we do this, as well as the consequences of some of our behavior, you know, as a result. Would you give an example or two of how how someone might be giving away her power? Perhaps she's not even aware of it, right? This might open up some eyes out there to say, oh, I I had no idea that I was doing that. Now, some women are conscious of it and some aren't. Right. And I think, you know, there certainly is literature about this. But one, one really good example is you're in a meeting and you come up with a great idea and people don't pay too much attention. And, you know, a few minutes later, someone else, typically a man, will say that idea again and put that forward and people will give that person credit and we don't say anything. So what I will tell my clients is, okay, so that does happen a lot. That happens to be a pretty pretty, um, prevalent kind of situation for women in in the corporate arena. But what you can do, well, there are a couple of things. The first thing you can do is take credit for it, which would which would be something like, I'm so glad you brought that up again. Um, you know, I'm so glad that you're acknowledging the idea that I brought up earlier because I think that, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so calling, bringing that power, bringing that attention back to you and your idea. I mean, another thing you can do is, is make a pact with a buddy, you know, a colleague yeah. that you trust who can then call it out as well. So you don't need to do it yourself. Uh, so those are some things where I think we, we give our power away. We hesitate 
to really stand in um, the power uh, of our ideas and our opinions and the value of them. Great examples, Bonnie. And and I also love the accountability partner, right? Someone who can Mm. have your back and you can have her back as well. And and also, I want to say it's wonderful when women support each other, but there are also male allies out there who can support you in this. So I'm grateful that you recognize that in the book as well. And this is a blinding flash of the obvious, but there's an incredible double standard for our male counterparts that when when they age, they become wiser, right? And and seen mm-hmm. as uh, more of an asset where the exact reverse is for the women. So how do assumptions and fears about aging put women at a disadvantage in the workplace? Oh, gosh, you know, the the bias towards older women is so ingrained in our society that we don't even realize how ageist we are ourselves. You know, used to be before I started writing this book, Caroline, somebody would say to me, oh, wow, you look, you know, you look so great for your age. And I'd say, thank you. You know, I take that as a compliment. Not that I don't say thank you now, but the point is now I recognize that it's ageist. I mean, how am I supposed to look at this age? Um, So, you know, we definitely put people in categories based on their gender and their age. And then um, and their sexual orientation. I mean, all of it. And then we make assumptions about them and that chances are, are not true. And there are many, many assumptions about older women in the workplace. As we show visible signs of aging, which Catalyst refers to as lookism, we are actually viewed as less competent, less able to to do our job, not having the stamina or the energy to carry out our, you know, our, our duties, our responsibilities. And men don't have that kind of uh, pressure to look younger and to look, you know, attractive. Mm -hmm. They do at a later stage, men, I mean, women suffer from lookism, this, what I call the double whammy, earlier than men. And as you said, men get the gray hair or even if they're bald, you know, they look wise, you know, the wise old man. Whereas for women, we scramble for the most part to, to dye our hair, to look good, look our best every day so that um, we can remain competitive. Men don't face that. So true. Bonnie, this is so juicy. I want to keep our conversation going and we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. You know, uh, something that I want to point out in the book that is so important for our global listeners to hear, you talk about developing a cross-generational network. So tell us what that is and, and how we go about building it. 
Well, first of all, I'd like to make the point that we do put people in categories based on their age uh, and uh, and their gender and sexual orientation, religion, all that. One of the things that really keeps us apart are the assumptions that are we make that are associated with a particular, say, age group. So in this case, women, you know, 45, 50 plus and younger women who are um, just entering the, the workplace. And we have these preconceived notions that, say, millennials who are actually, you know, reaching 40 and beyond now. So, but that younger generation feel entitled, you know, they don't necessarily work that hard. The way they feel about older women is, you know, we're over the hill. We don't have anything of value to offer anymore. However, and you know this in terms of uh, just human relationships, when we start to reach out and build a one-on-one relationship with somebody who is not in our generation. You know, we have to sometimes get out of our comfort zone to do so. All of a sudden, we relate on a one-on-one personal level. Not that we're necessarily going to find tremendous commonality, but we will find um, some ways in which we can perhaps help each other. For an older woman to mentor or help a younger woman navigate through the politics, through motherhood, if she chooses to be a mother, through, um, you know, how to really put her leadership uh, forward is tremendously beneficial. Um, and, And vice versa. We have a lot to learn from younger women who who may be more savvy, for instance, about technology, uh, who have different contacts and relationships that we can benefit from. So it's a win-win. And I think it's the assumptions that, that provide the barriers from us reaching out. But when we understand that we can all benefit from these kinds of relationships, and not only that, our company can benefit because it leads to not only more solid relationships and uh, perhaps an increase in, in skills, but also, you know, we, you know, we are more engaged. We are happier at work. You know, we don't feel that isolated. So true. I love, love, love what you just said. So I want to talk about the motherhood penalty. You've written about this and how women who take off time to raise children uh, lose their earning power. But in the new book, you also talk about the financial implications of ageism. Women are diminished or halted in their earning power in many organizations because of ageism. So how do we recognize that? And how do we, how do we fight back? Right. Well, uh, you know, we suffer from the from the gender pay gap from the time we negotiate or take our first job and that that lives with us for the whole spectrum you know of our career it you know it adds up to something like $500,000 over the course of of our lifetime so 
I think what we don't recognize is that many young women are entering the workplace and they have the burden of student loan debt, which takes on average of 22 years to pay off. And now we're using more of our salary than our male counterparts to pay down that debt and it takes longer. So, you know, we have that strike against us. Then if we decide to be a parent and a mother, that the impact of that is something like 75% of a penalty, income penalty, uh, as opposed to women who don't become mothers and, and men. If we opt out, it's much more difficult to get back in. Uh, it, very often we have to take uh, a lower level job or a pay cut to do so. And then, Caroline, when we're coming out of that, and, you know, we're in our 40s now and we're maybe not having children anymore. Now we're showing signs of aging. And, you know, according to AARP and the research that's done on this, women begin to see the effects of ageism in their 40s. And with that comes perhaps not being passed over for a promotion, not getting the raises, you know, God forbid, you know, maybe pushed out of your job and then not getting rehired. It takes so much longer for for women um, 50 plus to to get another job. So we are facing, you know, the financial implications of ageism and, and gender bias for our entire careers. You know, one of the things that that I want to pick your brain about, uh, you have very specific responses that you encourage women to take when when there is an ageist comment uh, directed mm-hmm. at them. But you say, okay, how do we respond to this without getting fired, right? Because so many women face this and are are really fearful, understandably thinking, okay, I'm vulnerable. How do I respond to this? But, but not lose my job. So what's your coaching wisdom for that woman who's experienced this yeah, and wants to I mean, find her confidence? First of all, um, I, I think it's important that we um, acknowledge that because ageism is so ingrained in our society, we are often unaware of some of the ageist comments and jokes that we make. Uh, And it's important to educate (laughs) and bring awareness to it Um, and to do it, obviously, in a savvy way, but to let the people know that, you know, how it makes you feel and that it is, in fact, ageist. Uh, One of the things, you know, some of the guidance that I give in the book is who made the comment, you know? Um, was it just a, a passing joke? Was it in fact, um, ageist, repetitive ageist behavior? And who was the person, you know, was it in a group or was it an individual? Because all that factors into the best way for you to position your response. So if it's your manager, for instance, um, and you have, a fairly good relationship with your manager, then it's appropriate to say, you know, when you made that comment about um, how I, I could have been around with Abe Lincoln or you know that oldie song, right? 
that made me feel really uncomfortable and and is ageist, you know. Because when you say things like that, not only are you standing in your power and acknowledging your feelings and how that makes you feel, but you're also educating the other person. Now, if it's someone that you don't have a good relationship with, uh, you might take it to human resources. And if you're not satisfied with that, I suppose, you know, you could take it further. But I do, as you pointed out, give some scripts in, in the book, because this is so uncomfortable that I felt that it was necessary to give some some real specific guidance here on and, what to say and how and to position I, it. What I love about that, Bonnie, is we've all been in situations where we couldn't think fast enough with that comeback mm-hmm. that was appropriate. So these are what I call the Bonnie Marcus script bits that we <laughs> should put in our pocket, right, and keep for when we need them. Because you know, goodness knows, we hope you don't experience this, but the reality is many of us do. So be prepared, be proactive. And and I thank you for those scripts because they're, they're power. Yeah. And I think we also have to hold ourselves back from coming back with some snark, snarky comment right. in return. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the natural inclination, actually. Absolutely. So I, I, I love your phrase, we need to stand in our power. So Share a, a technique, share uh, an action step about how we can remain visible and stand in our power. In the book, I have a chapter on this. And what I advise um, my readers to do is to create their own visibility plan. What does that look like in your organization? How? What are some ways where you can be visible and credible um, with with your team, with your manager, with with people who might be important influencers, uh, and create that list. Think about it and be intentional about it. You know, it might be volunteering for a special project where you know an executor, uh, um, an executive is the you know the key sponsor of an initiative. Uh, it might be helping to organize some company events w- without getting necessarily swallowed up by it. Um, and by that, I mean <laughs> getting caught up in like doing it every single year and people kind of count, count you on doing it and you don't get credit for it. But think about some savvy ways where you can gain the visibility. Maybe it's setting up um, a mentoring program or cross-generational networking or mentoring for your organization. Maybe it's um, setting up some brown bag lunches where you bring in, you know, you you ask your team what kind of topics would they be interested in getting more information about and lining up people to come in and talk. Um, you know, you're setting yourself up. Not only are you more visible, but you're positioning yourself as more of a leader. Bonnie, I always learn so much from you. What a joy to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to remind our listeners about your book title. It's called Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. And of course, it's available on Amazon and at all major book retailers. But I want to share Bonnie's website, which is BonnieMarcusLeadership.com. Bonnie, thank you. 
Thank you, Caroline. I love our conversations. I do too, my dear. Thank you so much and take good care. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. Special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.